truma kavshin pei aleph, and is leilui nishmat trumit at kevshon leilui nishmat semach ben of the, the first year side is above Adar and the second year and now we everybody mute themselves mute yourself so I won't be noisy before we start I have to just review the issue that is related to um, to these parashiyot at the end of the book of Shemot you remember that there are five parashiyot at the end of Book of Shemot, starting from the parasha of Truma, which we're starting today. Truma. Truma, five parashiyot. Truma, Tetzaveh, Kitisa, Vayakel, Pukudei. Those are the five parashiyot. Now, these parashiyot are distinguished by the fact that the parasha of Truma and Titzaveh is exactly the image of Vayakel Pekudeh, right? Is exactly, exactly the same. Truma, the parasha of Truma is about building the Mishkan. The parasha, mostly, not only, but mostly. The parasha of Titzaveh is about Big Day Kuhuna, again, mostly. And the opposite in Vayakel Pekude. Vayakel is about Big Day Kahuna, and Pekude is about building the Mishkan. But it's hard to understand uh, why the Torah would repeat these two parashiyot. Why these two parashiyot that present quite a lot of detail about the Mishkan and about the Kohanim and their clothing, why we should be, uh, why we should be interested in repeating these parashot, and why we should be interested in learning these parashot in that particular manner. All of that doesn't really make a lot of sense. But we say that, you know, we wait all year for the parashiyot of Vayakel and Pekude, the last two parashiyot in the in the book of Shemot, because uh, it's very easy to review them because there's no Rashi, and the reason that there's no Rashi is because Rashi explained it all in Truma and Titzaveh. So we have this problem, like a general kind of problem. Why did the Torah want to do it twice? But there's another problem. There's another problem that we have in the order of things. If I would ask, if I would ask any of you, um, what are the parashiyot that tell the story of Matan Torah? So I think everybody would agree that the parasha of Yitro is the beginning of the story of Matan Torah. The parasha of Mishpatim is a parasha that contains a lot of rules and laws that are found in the Torah, sort of like an introduction to the Torah. And the third part of the story is found in the parasha of Kitisa. Kitisa. 
Kitisa contains the story of the Egel Hazahar, the golden calf. And that is somewhat, certainly connected to the story of Matan Torah. But in the rendition of the Torah, the story of the Egel Hazahar is moved over. First, we have Truma and Tetzaveh, which is about the Mishkan. Then we have Kitisa, which is the end of the story of Matan Torah. And then we have Vayakal Pekude, which is, again, the story of the Mishkan and Big Day Kuhuna. So again, again, listen, we'll just say it again. There are five parshiyot that come at the end of the, of the, of the uh, Book of Shabbat. Truma, Tetzaveh, Kitisa, Vayakel, Pekudei. Four of these parashiyot, Truma, Tetzaveh, Vayakel, Pekudei, are about the Mishkan. The Mishkan was built, as we know, after Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai the second time. Then the, the, the Mishkan was built. So that the building of the Mishkan is certainly contained in the last two parashiyot of the book of Shemot Vayakel Pekude. And so if you would ask me, what's Truma and Tetzaveh? I mean, what do I learn from that? So that question would be a pretty good question to my mind. An outstanding question even, because I can't tell you that the answer is obvious or easy. So you have, again, Kitisa separated from Yitro and Mishpatim by Truma and Tetzaveh and by Yakel Pekude uh, repeated, by Yakel Pekude repeated. And so there you have it, I guess. The question for this evening, what is the Torah trying to tell us? with this special arrangement, why was it that the parashiyot of the building of the Mishkan are repeated in total, entirely? And what possible, what possible learning is there in finding that the parashiyot of building the Mishkan are written twice in the Torah and separate, in fact, Yitro Mishpatim from Kitisa. What is all of this? What are all these things going on? So let's look at a few psukim on the sheet by the Be'er Hashem Moshe Lemor, an introduction to the parish of Truma. The Be'er B'nei Yisrael, V'yichuli Truma. V'yichuli Truma, speak to B'nei Yisrael and bring for me uh, contribution, right? Be truly true. Rashi says, "You see the Rashi." I'm sorry, I can't. Um, I can't do it, but I would like to do it. Let me see. Be truly Be truly means bring a contribution to me. So Rashi. Rashi doesn't want us to make a mistake. Yichuli Truma. Rashi doesn't want to make us to make a mistake. As a Rashi says, Lilishmi. It's not that 
It's not that we should imagine that God needs something that we could offer. Like, you know, it's like we're not giving it to God in there, which would imply that there was a need on the part of God. The Rashi says, Lishmi, if you give it, you donate it, and you make a note of the donation as being Lishmi for the name of God. Truma, Rashi says, Afrasha, something you separate. Yafrishu limi mamonam They should separate a portion of their money as a contribution to me. And then the second part of the possible, talking about every person who kind of feels in his heart that he should do this. Rashi says, Rashi again, it's a contribution, a contribution. And, and it, it means, it's a way of saying, you have to be positive about it. You have to be positive about this present that you're giving, that you're giving to heaven, right? And then the words, the last part of the Pasuk, you will take this contribution from them, Amru Rabotenu, Shalosh Trumot Amurot God. So the Chachamim thought that the, the emphasis here on Truma, the emphasis on Truma, that the, the word appears, right? And then in Pasuk Gimel, Zotruma, that, that that deserves special connection. So the Chazal say there are three kinds of Truma that you build, take and then the Zahav and Kesev and the Poshet, Pasuk Dalet, Chelet Vargaman, V'tolat Shani, V'sheish V'izim, you take all, all the kind of raw material that you needed in order to do the Mishkan, in order to do the Mishkan. V'tolat Vargaman, V'tolat Shani, V'sheish V'izim, Pasuk Hei, or wrote a lima adamim, special kinds of skins of animals. Or wrote chashiva teishitim, pasuk vavashem in lamalor. You have to have oil for the lighting of the candles. Vasabim, spices. Vashem in amishchalik. So these are all. This a list of things that you have to bring. Vavdei shoa vavei miluim laivod v'lachoshech. And then the precious stones that you have to bring. You have to bring all of that. You have to bring, and then pasuk chet summary. It's a kind of a summary. You take all this stuff that is con contributed. Vasuli mikdash, vasuli mikdash, v'shachanti v'tocham. You will make for me a holy place. V'shachanti v'tocham is like, and I will dwell in your midst. Wow. So. The first pasuk says, this is like, uh, let's pick out, let's pick out the nuggets here. V'yichuli truma. They could do it. They could do this. V'yichuli truma. You bring for me, God says, a contribution. You can actually do it. Okay, well, how do you do that? How do you bring for God a, a, uh, a contribution? 
right? How do you bring a contribution to God? I mean, where do you put it exactly? You have this pile of stuff, you have gold and silver and, and iron. What do you do with it? How do you bring it to God? How do you bring it to God? So it says, it says in the Pasuk, I think, it says at the end of the same Pasuk, we ate called Ish Asher Libo. Answer, it's a matter for the heart. The heart is what makes the contribution for God. You have to, you have to, you, we might use a different lingo. You might say kavana, intention. But we understand that that somehow comes from your heart and not from your pocketbook, right? People contribute money because they're looking for honor. It's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a libo in order to create riyikhuli truma. Right, and Rashi says, it's as much as you can come close to God as is possible, this truma. It's not like, you know, excess, excess cash. It's not like a tax deduction. You have to get it. It has to be eight called each ashayid venulibo tikfuetrumati. It's as though God says, I don't want anything from anybody who can't give it to me, can't be with me, can't bring it to God. All those things are necessary. That's Pasuk Bet. And then Pasuk Gimel begins the list, Zotatruma. These are the things that are desired, but that doesn't cancel out Asheyid Venuli Bo. It has to always be Asheyid Venuli Bo. Then we go Pasukhet with that material that you have collected, Rasuli Mikdash, Vishachati Bitokha. This is like, you, could be the most important Pasuk in the Torah. Could be. I would. I would say it could run, give a good run for the best possible, the most important possible in the Torah, Vasuli Mikdash, Vishachanti Bitocham. Vasuli Mikdash means that you will be able to. I mean, it's not, it's not about building a building or making rooms or setting apart a territory. Vasuli Mikdash is the, comes out of Pasuk Bet. If you have that, if you have those people, if you have those people who are able to give from their hearts, with the kind of the innermost recesses of their of their heart, who they really are, then those people, about those people, you're able to say, they will be able to make a mikdash because you, if you don't have the heart, you can't make a mikdash. You can't make a mikdash. Rashi says, you look here at the bottom, uh, Suli Mikdash, just a second, we'll get something here. You see Vasuli Mikdash? Vasuli Shmi Beit Kedusha. 
Rashi says, don't make a mistake. As soon as you make that, doesn't mean that God is going to live there. Don't make a mistake. That's not Vasuli Mikdash. Vasuli Shmi Beit Kedusha. The last Pasuk, Pasuk Tet, the last Pasuk. Where is it? Kechol Asher Nimar Eot Chat Avnit Amishkavet Avnit Kol Keila Vecheta Asu Kol Asher Animar Eot I, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, promise to show you I mean, why do I have to show you? I mean, building a building. There's always people who know how to build. There's certainly people who were slaves in Egypt who know how to build buildings. Didn't they build those big buildings? Pitom and Ramses. <clears throat> they know how to build. What is what is a kol asher adimar eltcha? They 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 couldn't uh, they couldn't read the plans. They didn't know what a building was. It was rectangular. I mean, not, not so complicated. But Mar'e'otcha is a closeness. It's as though HaKadosh Baruch is putting a finger on the planet and saying, do it, do it this way. That's the building of the Mishkan. The building of the Mishkan is itself kind of holy work. It's done with HaKadosh Baruch. It's not just the plan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu helping us. The form of the Mishkan, and all of the vessels that go with the Mishkan, I'll show you how to do it. The Rashi here at the bottom, you see the Rashi? You should see it. And then Rashi says something remarkable. He says, This Pasuk, Pasuk Tet, the Pasuk that comes right before it, where he says, Vasuli Mikdash, Vasuli Mikdash, don't think that these are two different things. These two psukim work on two different levels. No. You will be able to make the mikdash because I will show you how to do it. This beta mikdash, the miraculous aspect of this mishkan, I'm sorry, of the mishkan that was done in the desert was that it was done as a joint venture. The people the people who about whom you could say right? The libo, remember the heart. Let me just with the people who are given, if you could do that, you become a person who's worthy of a joint project with a Kodesh Baruch. With a Kodesh Baruch, you're going to do this. We stop for a moment. We stop for a moment. There are two points in history that have to be, have to be recognized. First of all, 
you know that there is a history to Ra, to evil. There's a history, our history, our contention with Ra. I mean, first there was Adam Rarishon, first man and his wife, Chavra. They did the wrong thing. They were uh, compromised by Ra. Noach, he did the wrong thing. Abraham might have done the wrong thing also at a certain point, or the Ramban explains that that Avravina did something wrong by, by, by mistake. He took his wife to Egypt and then claimed she was his sister, which endangered her. Endangered her. The same thing might have been said about Yitzchak. Yaakov and his son certainly had a checkered careers, as they say, where Ra the evil in us raised the early its 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 head quite regularly. You find the greatest people doing things that they shouldn't be doing. So the Gemara says that when Bnei Israel came to Har Sinai and they were there to receive the Torah. They had to be purified. They had to kind of get themselves away from that Ra. And so HaKadosh Baruch helped them. Helped them to get away from the Ra. And gave them a, a, a tremendous reprieve. They were not carrying with them the onus of the sins of the past. But they were somehow they were somehow purified, and how were they purified? How were they purified? You know the, the the Torah tells us the story in chapter nineteen, Yutet, chapter Yutet that they had to wash themselves and cleanse themselves, and this had something to do ultimately with the idea of giur, of giur that everybody can create a new start for themselves. And that was Matan Torah. And, and, and Chachamim said, the Chachamim said that people who rejected the opportunity, right? There's a Medrash that says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked all the peoples in the world if they want to take the Torah along with the Israel, and they all, they all refused. They all refused means that whatever the Ra that was in them, whatever the evil that they carried in them, it remained in them. You can't, you can't get rid of it. I mean, everybody wonders. I mean, not everybody, but the people who are prone to wonder about such things wonder how it is possible How is it possible to convert? I mean, these are the people, you know, they're Jew, they're people who convert. There are conversions in the world. And these people who convert, 
These people who convert are uh, carrying around the sins of eternity. I mean, how do they change themselves? How do they become? I understand that B'nai Yisrael kind of converted before Matan Torah. And they converted in order to get rid of the onus of past sins that they carried around with them. But this was all done because of the great mercy from heaven. And the other nations of the world could have done it, but they refused. They denied the obligation, they denied the responsibility, and they weren't interested. They were not interested in, in what was going on with the Torah and with B'nai Yisrael. We're not even talking about Amalek. Even though this Shabbos is Parshat Zohar, don't forget. So, so B'nai Yisrael stood, this is Chazal saying, B'nai Yisrael stood to, to receive the Torah purified. They kind of extricated themselves. And so the man asked the Maharal, how is it possible that people come to convert? So the Maharal had a ready answer. The Maharal said, well, they come to convert because they're Jewish. It was they're not coming to convert because they're Goyim. They're coming to convert because they're Jewish. What does that mean? They, they got lost along the way. Somebody took them, didn't even give them back, took a child, brought a child up, but the child was brought up as a non-Jew. But eventually, the Jewishness in that child overwhelmed him, and he went to convert. So that the Jews at Mata and Torah went through this change. They became worthy of receiving the Torah. But somehow, this idea that they would be worthy of receiving the Torah, this idea that they would be worthy of receiving the Torah was corrupted. Hazal said it was corrupted by the non-Jews in their midst. I mean, okay, I don't know about that. But it was definitely corrupted so much that they built the golden calf. Now, without thinking or discussing what the building of the golden calf, what the nature of the transgression was, how do we, how do we uh, uh, state that transgression? I mean, we don't have to do, to do that just now. We don't have to do that just now. But obviously, it was there was a corruption. There was a corruption, and so if B'nai Israel was so uh, so weak that they would be that they would be influenced negatively by the non-Jews in their midst, you know, I have to assume that the, the Jewish element in Yitzhak Mitzrayim was greater than the those who came along with them. I'm sure of that. But the Jews, the Jews sinned. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu, told Moshe Rabbeinu that the, the new world had the new world that had been planned was no longer viable. And the Jewish people, as Moshe Rabbeinu brought them out of Egypt into the desert of Sinai, that people had to be destroyed. 
And for some reason, Moshe Rabbeinu with the kind of the ultimate level of chutzpah that, you know, was also bequeathed to the Jewish people, I guess, said to you can't do that. The world, the world will not be able to recover. All the people who might gain uh, or might see God as being worthy of honor will find it kind of silly that God took them out of Mitzrayim and wasn't able to bring them to Eretz Canaan. This is what the argument, the famous argument of Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe, Rabbe, <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu said it and HaKadosh Baruch said, okay. As though the prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu was oppressive in heaven. They couldn't stand it. So if I would ask this question again, where did Moshe Rabbeinu get that strength from? How did Moshe Rabbeinu think that he was going to argue with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Because if he didn't think he was going to argue with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he never would have been successful. I mean, what was, what was the thing that prodded him? What was the thing that gave Moshe Rabbeinu the strength to argue in favor of the people who have done the worst sin imaginable? After all, they all stood at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, and they all heard HaKadosh Baruch Hu say, the Aseret HaDibrot, or at least the first two of the Dibrot, that's what they heard. And it didn't impress them. I mean, it's almost impossible to imagine. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu think? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu think that he might be successful? I know sometimes you, you just take the challenge without thinking that what you're doing is absolutely no basis in reality. But we don't see Moshe Rabbeinu quite in that way. Moshe Rabbeinu knew what he was doing. And he knew that when he spoke to HaKadosh Baruch about the future of Am Yisrael, he knew that he would be successful. And how did he know that he would be successful? We know the Gemara says that in the Mikdash, in the Beit HaMikdash, there were two Korbanot Tamid every day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And the, the purpose of these Karbanot Tamid, Ola Tamid, it was a daily sacrifice and it was completely consumed by fire. This is what's the purpose of these sacrifices? So the Gemara says, the purpose of the sacrifices is kaparai's atonement. The sacrifice of the morning takes care of the sins of the evening before, and the sacrifice in the afternoon takes care of the sins of the daytime. Sins of the daytime. That's what. That's what the korban is. Ah, that's what the mishkan is. So the Mishkan is the source of atonement. Atonement is what guarantees the future of Am Yisrael. Atonement 
Atonement is what makes it possible for the world to go on. And so, Atonement, Mishkan, Big Day Kahuna is placed, I mean, it, it would have ordinarily, regularly been placed in Vayakel and Pekude at the end of the Book of Shemot, which is the time that Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai with the second tablets and with the knowledge of Torah in his head. And he said to everybody, hey, we got to go build a Mishkan. This is the first thing we have to do. And why was it the first thing we have to do? Because that's what guarantees the continuity of Am Yisrael, the Mishkan, the Karban Tami, the Ola Tami. That's what guarantees that we continue to exist. And Moshe Rabbeinu said that was the argument that I was able to use in my arguing with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why when the Torah told us the story of the Egel HaZahav, it preceded the story of the Egel HaZahav with the, with the source of the optimism that Moshe Rabbeinu had after the Cheta Egel. So the second telling of the of the of the building of the Mishkan in Vayakel and Pekude, that's the real thing. That's you know, go build the Mishkan. But Truma and Tetzave, it's about Moshe Rabbeinu knowing that atonement is always a possibility as long as there's as long as there is a a Mishkan. And as long as if there are those people to build the Mishkan, this is only in Truma, and that those people who build the Mishkan create a situation where where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is kind of with them, with the people that, that uh, uh, real punishment cannot take place as long as it's Beit HaMikdash. And we saw that twice. Korban Bayit Rishon, Korban Bayit Sheni. That in order to punish the Jewish people, you had to kind of disconnect something. Something that was built. Something that was that was fashioned in a, a unique manner. Only then could the punishment devolve upon Am Yisrael. Right when the Rasuli no longer existed and no longer protected protected the people. Okay. Have a good Shabbos. And remember, Parsha Zohar. All you have to do is listen, but you have to listen to something. All the best. Thanks, Rabbi. Shabbat Shalom, Kotu. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Shabbat Shalom, Kotu.